1: Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Guiltiest Charge podcast. I'm your host, Alex Insdorf, for today. Uh, Tyler is out and he's in Hawaii. So I decided that I would do the QA this week. Uh, and so I reached out to the best folks on Twitter and our YouTube community and asked them, you know, what burning questions, what hot takes they had uh, about the Chargers, about the NFL in general. And I thought I would get to some of those today. Some of the questions did overlap, so I know obviously a lot of people have asked about the right tackle situation, for example. So we might combine some of those questions. Uh, But I thought, nevertheless, let's try to get to as many of these as we can. Uh, And I thought that this would be a good time to do it, since there's not a lot to talk about in the NFL in June. So you guys have to create the content for us a little bit. Uh, But let's get into it. I will go to the questions from Twitter.com. First, uh, and so we got a lot of good questions over there, and then we'll go maybe a little bit rapid fire through the YouTube Unity tab as well. Uh, but let's start with this question from Hollywood Herbert on Twitter: What is the plan for Joe Reed? He was injured last season, and as a fourth-round pick, he's probably going to make the 53. Will he strictly be special teams, or can he get into the wide receiver rotation? So I actually believe answering this question first that Joe Reed was a fifth-round pick in 2020. I don't remember what number pick he was, uh, but yeah, I think he was a fifth round pick. Um, it's a difficult question to answer about Joe Reed because I think when the Chargers drafted him, they expected him to be their special teams slash wide receiver guy. Um, obviously, that was when that was Anthony Lynn's final draft uh, prior to obviously him getting fired and Brandon Staley coming in. And, you know, ever since then, Joe Reed's never really been in consideration for that special teams role, obviously got hurt in training camp last year. Um, And so there wasn't really a path to him making the team. But, you know, I, I disagree that he's probably going to make the roster now just because the Chargers carried five wide receivers last year. And if you look at, you know, what they would do this year with five wide receivers, It would be Keenan Allen, it would be Mike Williams, it would be Guyton, it would be Palmer, and DeAndre Carter, right? So if you're just going based on the fact that the Chargers are going to carry five, then Joe Reed definitely does not make the team uh, in that aspect. Now, we've talked about this on the show when we did our depth chart breakdown, that the Chargers could end up carrying a six wide receiver. Um, And if they do that, then I think Joe Reed has a chance to make the team I just think at this point, he's kind of out of their plans. I think he could still remain on the practice squad, obviously. uh, But they signed DeAndre Carter for that special teams role. And, uh, you know, if the Chargers are going to carry a six receiver, I don't think there's any indication that Joe Reed would really be the favorite for that, um, at least at this point, which kind of stinks because I like Joe Reed quite a bit coming out of that draft. Um, And I thought that he would kind of fit in pretty seamlessly, but obviously has been hurt. The injuries have accumulated and now there's a new coaching staff, not just a new coaching staff, but we're on our second special teams coordinator of this daily era. And I think that Joe Reed's just kind of a forgotten product um, at this point right now, but, you know, hope he does the best he can in training camp. Maybe he secures some kind of spot on the roster. Uh, But I think, there's not really a strictly special teams role for him at this point with Carter here. And it's, it's really a tough hour for him to make the wide receiver rotation at this point, but good question uh, from our guy, Bollywood Herbert. Let's get to some of the other questions from Twitter. Uh, This one comes from uh, Dalton Stets on Twitter. Besides Herb, what injury would be the most devastating to the team's playoff aspirations? Um, so this is actually a pretty easy answer for me. Uh, I, I There's a lot of ways you could go with this, right? If Joey Bosa gets hurt, right? That's, you know, edge is the second most valuable position in the sport after quarterback, right? You could talk about Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, both in that sense. You could go to left tackle and talk about Rashawn Slater, right? The Chargers already have this problem at right tackle. So if their left tackle goes down, then, you know, the, the playoffs yeah, nature of this season could immediately... Uh, get off to a really bad start uh, if that were to happen, right? But for me, I have to go Derwin James. Um, I think what you've seen in the last few years with Derwin James playing versus Derwin James not playing has been pretty huge. It's been a pretty huge difference on defense. Um, He plays at all three levels of their defense. He's the player that Brandon Staley really builds the defense around um, the most. Obviously, like Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, you know the quarterbacks like they're all very important but it just doesn't really work without Derwin James and then if Derwin gets hurt you, you're sort of left trying to use N- Nasir Adderley and like JT Woods in that role which I mean like I, I believe in Nasir like he he's good but the amount of responsibility and the amount of skill it takes to take Derwin's to do Derwin's job like I don't think anyone on the defense can really do that and so I think obviously, you know, he's uh, been one of the captains on this team, uh, you know, big motivational leader, uh, and he's the biggest part of this defense. And so for me, this defense just does not work if you do not have Derwin James. We've seen that before in previous seasons where uh, Derwin has been injured. So uh, I got to say that that kind of by default is the most devastating one. We even saw this to a degree last year where Derwin missed the Texans game. With the hamstring injury, obviously the Chargers had a lot of other problems in the Texans game with the COVID cases, the defensive line just getting ran on by Rex Burkhead. But you also saw the difference of, you know, when Derwin is there for this team versus when he's not. Uh, I think that losing Derwin James, other than losing Justin Herbert, um, is the most deadly to this team's, you know, or most lethal, I should say, to this team's playoff aspirations but good question i think there's a lot of ways you could go there like i said i think you could go to Slater, um and and you can go to a lot of other players but for me i i would have to go derwin kind of by default um all right we got a lot of right tackle questions so let's talk about right tackle uh this comes from mayor of boltsville what is the likelihood that the chargers move to a veteran uh move a veteran to right tackle if so does norton survive the roster reduction um so obviously there's a couple ways that this could happen right the chargers could sign somebody like a riley rife like we've talked about could go after a veteran right tackle or push filer to right tackle in either of those situations i still think storm norton makes the roster um probably slightly less likely um if they go after a veteran right tackle but if they kick filer out you're still keeping the same amount of offensive line pieces, right? So Norton certainly survives that roster, you know, reconstruction. His contract isn't expensive too. Like he basically makes the minimum. Um, So I think that they would keep Norton and Pipkins in either scenario. Uh, We're really not going to know till training camp, right? I mean, Tom Telesco seemed pretty adamant about keeping Filer uh, at left guard. And so if that is the case, then you know norton and pipkins both survive any roster cut down if he moves out there maybe it's a little bit more likely that one of them's gone but if you're still keeping the same amount of offensive line pieces i don't think you want to reduce your depth there um so for me i think the only situation where one of them is cut is if they were to sign somebody but they seem pretty adamant um that this is their offensive line group at least heading into training camp and then maybe uh, later on, we'll see if uh, they decide to go in a different direction. But I think both of them kind of would survive uh, some roster cutdown, some roster reduction. Uh, but anyway, I mean, good question. <laughs> we still have more questions to get that people asked about the right tackle situation. Um, so we'll get to those as we go along. Uh, this comes from Jay Redacted at uh, Zekloxy on Twitter. Is Chase Daniel better at being a mentor or QB? How much can we trust the QB depth behind Herbert? Um, I think this is a a good question, I guess. Um, You know, I think you see a lot of teams out there who, not a lot, but there's probably like a handful of teams around the league who have like a really good backup, right? Um, You know, you could look at uh, the Colts now who have Nick Foles as their backup. have to mention him. Uh, and so, you know, obviously there's situations like San Francisco where Jimmy G is the starter currently, but they're working on trading him, but Trey Lance is the backup. Uh, obviously a lot of those rookie quarterback situations kind of play out. So teams have a a better second option, but for me, I I guess the the thing is like the QB depth behind Justin Herbert kind of doesn't matter, right? Like if Chase Daniel is, is helpful in the quarterback room and he's, you know, not even being a mentor so much as he can help Justin Herbert see the field in a way that maybe he didn't before, then I think that you keep Chase Daniel, right? Uh, this was sort of like the Daniel Stick debate last year. The reality is, if anything happens to Justin Herbert, this team is screwed, right? And that's not just about the Chargers; that's about you know all of the teams with top five quarterbacks around the league. If the Bills lose Josh Allen, they're done. If the Chiefs lose Mahomes, they're done. Um, if the Chargers lose Herbert. They're done. Right. So I think you could talk about this in like a one game kind of scenario. Right. Something happens to Justin Herbert's hamstring. He has to miss a week. Right. Do you trust Chase Daniel? Right. Like that's sort of, I guess, how you could phrase the question. But ultimately, if Justin Herbert has to miss extended time, the charters are done anyway. So I guess I would rather have a guy behind Herbert that the coaching staff trusts enough with the playbook and, and to get the job done if he has to come in. But ultimately, with the style of football the Chargers play, they're very reliant on Justin Herbert, just like all of the, you know, teams with top 10 quarterbacks are reliant on theirs. So for me, there's not really like uh, I guess it's not really a trust thing for me. It's just Chase Daniels, the backup. And if they have to rely on Chase Daniel, they're going to rely on him. Right. So I just don't think there's uh, a lot you can do. Obviously, if I really wanted to get pricey and, and spend on a backup, um, you know, like maybe we talked about a couple of years ago, like I remember Jacoby Brissett one off season when he signed with the Dolphins was like the highest price backup. So maybe the Chargers could invest that way. But like, is there really such a huge difference between somebody like Jacoby Brissett and Chase Daniel that you'd be willing to pay a lot extra for it? Right. Not to me, at least. And so to me, this team goes as it does with Justin Herbert and whoever he wants as the backup quarterback is kind of my choice to be the backup quarterback at this point. Um, let's ooh, let's talk about this from Bolt's base. Uh, Keenan is one of the best receivers in football, but his age is getting up there, and he jokingly said he wants to reset the market for receivers, meaning thirty million a year. Uh, do you think that's the smartest decision for the Chargers in the future, or like an eighty-nine million three-year deal could be in the works? Um, So yeah, this actually was a quote from Keenan at OTAs in that Mike Williams, Keenan Allen press conference where he said that he wants to reset the market. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar with Keenan's contract situation, he's a free agent after the 2024 season. So he still has three years left on that deal, was extended in 2020. Um, I believe his contract is four years, 80 million. So uh, he basically makes 20 million average annual value. And then uh, if you look at his cap hits, I believe they climb to 23 million next year and then 25 million in 2024. So I-, I think the reality is this like Keenan Allen is, is going to be, you know, a charger for as long as the chargers won't have him. Right. Um, and so I-, I, I do think he'll ultimately finish his career here, but When Keenan Allen gets out of that contract, he's going to be 33 years old, right? And and the Chargers kind of designed it like that too, right? Because by the time Keenan Allen's contract is done, that's when they have to pay Justin Herbert, right? They sort of have formulated Joey Bosa's contract in a similar way. Uh, And so in that sense, I think the reality is Keenan probably will decline a little bit by the time he gets to 33 um Who knows what wide receiver money will be like by then? But I don't think he'll be in a position to reset the market at that point. Obviously, I still think Keenan Allen's game, the way that he, you know, the way that he ages, the way that his game is not predicated on like top tier athleticism. It's more based on route running. He's a technician, like as, as has kind of been talked about. I think that will help him. But, you know, I don't think anyone thinks that Keenan Allen's going to reset the market. Uh, And I think Keenan Allen was clearly joking when he made that comment. But if we're talking about what the Chargers can kind of do with Keenan Allen going forward, I do think you can probably in 2023 or 2024 look forward to a restructure of Keenan Allen's deal, because if you do go to spot track uh, as it stands right now, it's a $23 million cap hit in 2023, a $25 million cap hit in 2024. So I think if the Chargers want to restructure, mitigate those cap hits, free up some cap room, I think that's probably, you know, it, talking about the immediate future, what you're looking for in in Keenan Allen's contract. And, you know, I think based on how they're going to be freeing up cap space, they restructured Khalil Mack this offseason. Um, that's probably what they're going to do. Because right now they're currently, you know, kind of in – in the crapper when it comes to catch chase next year, because they have obviously spent a lot this year, but there's ways like restructuring Keenan and Bosa that they can free up some space. Um, another right tack- or another right tackle question from Edward Moretti. Um, Any chain is only as good as its weakest link right. Tackle is ours thoughts. Um, so I, I sort of agree with this concern, right? Like, but at the same time, I think that Justin Herbert, even with poor right tackle play, has shown, you know, the ability to keep the Chargers in games. Now, are there you know disasters that can come? Like, you know, like we mentioned earlier, the potential of Slater getting injured, the potential of, like, having to throw that Senio Calamete-like option into the game, like had to last year against Denver. Yeah, injuries and all that stuff can strike at any time. Um, but, at the same time, I think if right tackle is your weakness, I think you feel at least a little bit more comfortable with that than you do about, say, left tackle, right? And the fact that they still have Slater, Filer, Lindsley, um, and now Zion Johnson, the fact that you're going to have four you know, really high-quality starters at on your offensive line, regardless of what the configuration is, I think that has to make you feel much better than when the offensive line was, uh, you know, uh, Sam Tevy and Dan Feeney and (laughs) all of those guys who, you know, just very clearly did not have much business starting uh, in the league. So I think that we look at it now and we go, okay, the right tackle is the spot that needs to be upgraded if this team is to contend. But I think if you are kind of looking at this from a retrospective angle and being like what our offensive line was before versus what it is now, we're not starting Trent Scott out there. right? We're not throwing uh, a Trent Scott, Sam Tevi sandwich (laughs) offensive line out there. And so I think that is something to be thankful for uh, on some level. And the fact that you do have three high quality, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro kind of players in Slater, Lindsley, and Filer. And you have someone like Zion Johnson, who is up and coming as well. Like, to me, if you have at least four out of the five offensive line spots filled and you feel confident about them, um, I think that you do have more margin for error at right tackle than they did in previous seasons prior to Slater and Lindsley and all those guys. So that is kind of how I feel about it. Uh, but obviously, right tackle will be the the main topic of training camp. Speaking of training camp, this comes from an undrafted analyst on Twitter, Stephen Gillard. Uh, what player matchup are you most looking forward to seeing live at training camp? Uh, for, for me, uh, I think that I look at JC Jackson versus the wide receivers. Uh, we sort of saw a little bit of that in some of the mic'd up this week. Uh, then we saw Sante Samuel Jr. Uh, versus Keenan Allen and Mike Williams as well. But I think seeing those guys, you know, as well as Derwin going against those guys in training camp as well, I always like seeing those battles. I think those are kind of the most exciting parts of like a training camp kind of situation. Um, You know, we've seen players kind of pop off and secure a roster spot before in that way. But, you know, it's kind of an iron sharpens iron thing, right? Like I'm talking about with Khalil Mack and Rashawn Slater right here. So I think the fact that, you know, uh, you could see, like a, a keenan allen go against the jc jackson or mike williams go against the jc jackson on any individual training camp play um i think that's going to be something very exciting and is very iron sharpens iron like i said uh okay <laughs> at fired telesco on twitter <laughs> says i'm a very anti-telesco person buddy i couldn't tell <laughs> um, if this season ends up like 2019 Will Staley and Telesco both be gone? Telesco should have left with Lynn. So in response to this question, um, I will actually say that, I mean, me and Steven and Tyler at the time, I think we're both, all three of us were of the mindset that Telesco should have been gone with Lynn, right? You just kind of clean house as opposed to like keeping your GM and then keeping your coach and, and then, or keeping your GM and then getting another coach, right? There's not a lot of GMs around the league who get to hire a third coach um, in the way that Telesco has been able to with Mike McCoy, now Anthony, then Anthony Lynn, then Staley. Uh, But I mean, the, the big thing there is he drafted Justin Herbert, right? And people can talk about that being lucky because the Dolphins took Tua and, you know, Telesco would have just taken whoever was left between Tua and Herbert. But at the end of the day, he made that decision. Has this franchise going in a different direction because of that decision? and the nfl's business is is a results-based business right and i think he'll get a lot of flack obviously for the team not making the playoffs last year but there are you know 30 there are 25 to 30 teams that would kill to have justin herbert as their quarterback right um if they don't have aaron Rodgers and josh allen and patrick mahomes they would probably want justin herbert so in that sense uh, i think that That bought Telesco more years and bought Telesco more time. Now, if they end up struggling out of the gate, if they end up saying having like another eight, nine, nine, and eight season that's disappointing, I think you kind of can get into Telesco territory of like him losing his job or or something like that. But at the end of the day, they allowed Telesco to make a lot of financial decisions this offseason that affected them for many years to come, like the JC Jackson deal. Uh, like the Khalil Mack trade, all of those decisions really affect the Chargers for a long time. Uh, you know, obviously allowed him to extend Bosa and Keenan Allen to the deals he did. So to me, um, yes, the Chargers could underperform and, you know, something could happen. But I, I think Telesco's probably safe right now. Um, I don't want to say regardless of what happens in 2022, because you never know what could happen but they allowed him to hire Staley and allowed him to make a lot of financial decisions that affect the team for the next two or three years at the very least. So um, I, I think there, you know, is rightfully some anti-Telesco, you know, agenda, but I think that he's going to be safe for the time being. Uh, And so we'll just have to see how it plays out. Uh, All right. So now let's go to the YouTube comments. Uh, And so we also got some questions from the people over at YouTube. Uh, This one comes from Joe Alexander. If you want a hard-hitting question, have Joey Bosa or Khalil ask it. (laughs) Apart from my bad joke, who do you believe will have the most impactful season between Eamon Ongbong-Bamiga or JT Woods? Uh, This is a good one. So I think we've talked about Eamon Ongbong-Bamiga as a guy that the coaching staff is is pretty high on, right? Uh, Making his impact at linebacker. I would go JT Woods, though, with the draft capital. They invested in him, obviously playing the more valuable position in Brandon Staley's defense. I think there's going to be a motivation to get him on the field also because of Nasir Adderley's contract situation. This is obviously the last year of his deal, probably not going to be re-signed just with the Chargers financial situation anyway. So I think they're going to want to see JT Woods and prioritize him getting on the field quite a bit this season.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Uh, and Amen Angban, Mika obviously just plays the less valuable position in Staley's defense in a depth chart where you probably have uh, Kenneth Murray, Drew Tranquil, and probably Troy Reader uh, ahead of him, right? Uh, given that, yeah, at least at the time being, so I would go with JT Woods having the more impactful season on the team. Um, this is from Gecko Cujo seventy six. If Pipkins and Filer are good enough to start at right tackle, and every versatile lineman on the roster can play guard, why was Storm Norton never substituted in the Raiders game? Whose ultimate decision would have that uh, would that have been? So I'm actually going to pull up our lads really quick, because I think it's uh, worth talking about, uh, you know, just in terms of why the Chargers went with Storm Norton uh, in the Raiders game and why they never pulled him, because I do think there is, to some extent, a little bit of revisionist history when it comes to this, right? Obviously, we look at the Chargers offensive line as it is right now, and we say, okay, you have Zion Johnson. You have Jamari Salyer. You you know you got Will Clapp to uh, to be backup center. Uh, there's the Chargers be up the year, and so I think people look at how it is now and go, oh well, then you know, why didn't they just file their right tackle right? Why didn't they just do this? But I'd like to remind people a little bit of what the roster was like heading into that final Raiders game. Um, and so let's go to what it looked like on January first, twenty twenty two, right? Uh Storm Norton obviously got the start coming off the COVID list. Uh you had Michael Schofield, you had Corey Lindsley, you had Matt Filer, and you had Rashawn Slater, uh, obviously as well. Um, you know, uh Michael Schofield obviously uh, because uh Odeo Bushi got hurt earlier in the year. Storm Norton starting because Brian Blogga was hurt, but Tell me what the move is, I guess, if you wanted to put Filer at right tackle, if you wanted to move someone around on the interior, right? Because if you move Filer to right tackle in this game and you bench Storm Norton, you know, that means that you're probably going to throw a rookie Brendan Hymez in at left guard uh, who hasn't played a game yet. You're just going to throw him in, right, in the most important playoff game of the season, right? Is that that much of a preferable option to starting Storm Norton, right? Do you guys want to put Senio Kelamete in, (laughs) right? Do you want to put him in Matt Filer's spot and kick him out to right tackle, right? So I think you can also say based on merit, should Storm Norton have gotten benched? Maybe, right? Maybe Storm Norton should have gotten benched and you throw Trey Pipkins into the game based on how he played against Kansas City, right? Like maybe you you look at the situation like that, but NFL teams tend to not bench, uh, you know, offensive line players mid-game, right? Like, we've seen the occasional, like, okay, they took Michael Davis out of the game because he blew an assignment or something like that. But they just don't do that with offensive linemen. And I think that going to the game, if you're changing your five uh, that you throw out there, you really only want it to be because of injury. So I also say this about Storm Norton. If you go back and look at the numbers, right, on PFF um, and what he was doing the last three or four weeks, prior to, you know, having to start that Raiders game, he was actually pretty decent, right? I think in those four games prior to the Raiders game, he averaged two pressures a game uh, for, you know, like a something like a total of eight pressures in that time span. Uh, and obviously I think had like two sacks given up in the four games prior to the Raiders game. So averaged half a sack per game. So while we go, okay, Max Crosby just, absolutely ate his lunch, and the Raiders gave him a lot of trouble. I think it's worth pointing out that Norton had actually kind of stabilized prior to that game, which gave the coaching staff some optimism that it would not be as bad as 11 pressures and two sacks given up uh, in that Raiders game. So I do think there is a little bit of revisionist history going back to that, and I just think, in general, once you throw your five out there into the game, and NFL teams just don't like benching guys, and so in that sense, or benching guys that play along the offensive line, I think you leave your five out there, and so maybe there's revisionist history about that situation, but it, to me, it was never that bad um, of, a, of a decision to throw Storm Norton out there and not pull him. Um, but you know, that, that's obviously up for debate. Um, okay. Keith asks, just watched the Sebastian Joseph Day mic'd up. It's crazy how unengaged Tillery is. He just stands off to the side and is like a shadow to the D-line group. Do you think that's a sign of his effort and passion? Uh, My lawyers have advised me not to comment on this question. But um, I actually didn't watch the Sebastian Joseph Day mic'd up. Uh, I did want, I took a look at the Asante Samuel Jr. one. um, But obviously, SJD has a lot of energy uh, and it's just, you know, he plays like his hair is on fire. You know, every every rep, he's just that kind of guy. Um, and this is, I think, the first week uh, of OTAs that Tillery showed up, did not show up the week before. Um, and so, you know, obviously this is after the Chargers declined his fifth-year option. Tillery's never been that emotive of a guy on the field, right? And I don't think that's necessarily a sign of passion, right, or or effort, Um I, I just think this is the position he's in with the team at this point. Obviously he knows he's not going to be there too much longer after they turned down his fifth year option. Uh, even though I think he knows he's in a contract year and, and has to kind of produce to get a contract with another team. I just think there's a natural inclination to not be super passionate about, you know, like a team that just kind of threw you out the door long term, not saying it was right. Not saying it was wrong. I mean, I, I think we all do agree that turning down the fifth-year option on Tillery was the right decision, but um, I guess the Chargers shouldn't be surprised that he's a little bit more unengaged um, than usual if that is the case, um, you know, watching the mic up. But, you know, the, those videos are also cut in a way where they sort of hype up the player that they're about um, and everyone else kind of looks like they have a little less energy by comparison. Tillery, I think, is still going to be fine in what he does by the time the season comes around. He'll be that, you know, uh situational pass rusher, right? Like that's what his role is at this point. You're, you're not reinventing the wheel with him. Um, but I, I do agree that you would like to see a little bit more fire um, in, in Tillery's game than, than what he's shown at this point. Um, The next question comes from Zeus era. We own the sky. Herbert quite possibly has the best tools of any quarterback, my question for you guys is regarding the drops. Do you think Herbert needs to take some stank off of his throws or because the window and timing needs to be so precise and is, uh, needs to be so precise it's needed and it's the wide receiver's responsibility to make those catches if the throw is accurate? So this was a question I think even going back to like Herbert's rookie year, right? There were some of those balls where Herbert had to throw it like five yards to Keaton Allen or something and then he would just like dart it in there and it would just be too too difficult for Keenan Allen to catch. The team obviously had a much more significant drop problem in 2021. Um, But I I tend to agree with what players like Keenan Allen have said and echoed, which is, you look, if the ball's too hard to catch, you got to get on the jugs machine, right? Justin Herbert, you know, has been putting it right in the hands. It's one thing if, you know, he makes you uh, quarterbacks that like make their wide receivers do a body catch, or something like that, or they put it in the in the bread basket instead of in the hands. But regardless of how hard Justin Herbert throws it, I, I think you just have to catch it. <laughs> um, and I think that's been the attitude of the wide receiver room. I think that's what they want to correct this year. So I, we do get this question, you know, somewhat often regarding Herbert and how hard he throws the ball. But at the end of the day, Patrick Mahomes throws the ball very hard too. So does Josh Allen. So does Aaron Rodgers. Right. And all those guys, you know, did not, all those teams did not have the chronic drop problems that the Chargers had last year. And I, I don't think that's a thing you expect to carry over from year to year as well, right? Drops are, tend to not be a statistic that carries over from year to year. Um, so in that sense, I, I, I don't think it's as big of a deal as people maybe want to make it out to be. Um, this comes from Rusty Lidriza. Uh, What are some defensive lineups you foresee in the different down and distance situations? Is there a possibility of all four cornerbacks being on the field at the same time? Or if Adderley and Woods are too high and Derwin near the line, uh, who else is on the field? Uh, And is it possible for both fullbacks to make the roster a seventh round rookie? Takes Anderson's spot instead of a fourth tight end. Um, All right, let's talk about Horvath and neighbors first, I guess. I don't think it's possible for both fullbacks to make the roster, right? I guess in this question, you're saying you treat Horvath as like a fourth tight end instead of a fullback. Um, But I think they view him as a fullback at this point. I don't think there's a lot of evidence that like they would carry for this year, um, unless they really like something from Hunter Campmoyer. But to me, it's, it's going to be Horvath versus neighbors for that spot. And at the end of the day neighbors was a guy that was selected over bobby holly by the previous coaching administration not a lot of ties to the current one um aside from being justin herbert's best you know brisket friend uh i think that they would lean Horbath there and to me the the utility of just keeping two fullbacks on the roster like doesn't make a lot of sense um even though Horbath can do more things than just be a fullback and neighbors to his credit can be versatile at times as well. I just don't think they would view having, you know, uh, five fullback tight ends combined again as being a a big thing. And there were situations last year where even though they only had one tight end, Gabe neighbors ended up being a healthy scratch for some games um, in the same way that if they keep a fullback again this year, maybe he would be healthy scratch. Whoever they keep would be a healthy scratch again. So I think the fullback thing is very situationally dependent, game dependent. And to me, I don't think that's something that you burn two roster spots on, at least at the current uh, current point. Uh, as far as the first part of the question, right, is there a possibility of all four cornerbacks being on the field at the same time, or if Adderley and Woods are in too high and Derwin near the line, who else is on the field? Um, I I think it's difficult to put all four cornerbacks on the field at the same time, Um maybe in like some situations where like it's just such an obvious passing down um so like they they could do that I just wonder right this kind of depends on like who you're playing outside but they're all going to move around I think maybe there will be some plays where you see all four cornerbacks on the field think it's more likely that you'll see three three cornerbacks and like two or three safeties every play obviously you have your linebackers on the field too um, but, you know, Staley likes mixing it up. Staley likes versatility. Uh, and so I, I, don't, I don't think it's impossible that you would see uh, a J.C. Jackson, Michael Davis, Asante Samuel Jr., Callahan, like, line up on the field at the same time. But uh, I, I don't think it's overly likely, in my opinion, that you see that very often. Um, this comes from Austin Savage. Are the Raiders the hottest offense in the division? Only lacking a little at quarterback and O-line – um, so, okay, <laughs> I know there's gonna be a lot of people who laugh at this question and just go, of course, it's not the Raiders. I will say in defense of the Raiders, right? Like they did just go get the best wide receiver in football, in my opinion, when it comes to Devontae Adams, right? Um, They have, you know, they took two running backs in the draft Um that, you know, should help their offense a little bit. Still have Josh Jacobs um in his last season, Hunter Renfro, obviously killed the chargers at times last season. So you look at their offense and it's like, there's stuff there hottest offense in the division to me is, is a little bit of a stretch though. I still think based on, I, I think it's heavily based on quarterback play. I would go with Justin Herbert and the chargers offense over the Raiders. I'd also go with Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs offense, even with the question about what they're going to do about Tyree kill I, I still am not taking them off that pedestal yet. Um, but the Raiders are a team that, with how they've upgraded their offense, um, has a chance to, I think, do some special things this year. Uh, I, I just worry a little bit about their offensive line situation. And I worry a little bit about their defense hurting their offense, too, right? Because while they've upgraded their offense a significant degree, with Devontae Adams, for example, they really have left their defense kind of barren, um, aside from drafting like some okay trench pieces like uh, Matthew Butler right this offseason but aside from that uh, I I just I don't see enough in the secondary right now in the linebacker room to really make this work for the Raiders defense and the longer the defense has to stay out there and get killed the more pressure that puts on the offense right so I, I I kind of pour a little bit of cold water on them being the hottest offense in the division right now Although, like, they have potential, and it could play out that way, you yeah, know, potentially. Um, this comes from Chorizo Con Juevos. Uh Hi, guys. First time asking a question. Can you see a scenario where Justin Herbert throws for less yards and less touchdowns than he did last year, putting him behind all the other elite QBs, Allen, Mahomes, Rogers, etc., and still wins MVP? Also, we need more Maddie. So, shout out to Matty Schmidt. Uh, Chorizo Con Huevos likes your work, and we like Maddie's work on the channel as well. So, go check out. Maddie's Minute and all those videos. I know she'll be doing more videos this week. Um, but to answer your question, um, any scenario can happen, right? An MVP is not an award that's like exclusively statistics-based, right? Um, it's actually, I think, more based on Arjun's posted stats about this. Like it's more based on like EPA per play than it has been based on like who leads in touchdowns, who leads in uh, least interceptions, right? It's more been based on like those statistics and just who people think the best quarterback is that year, then like this guy had 35 touchdowns, this guy had 40 touchdowns. So this guy was better, right? Like it generally just hasn't, hasn't worked like that um, very often. And I think the best quarterback debate has been uh, pretty easy. Like the last couple of years, just who was the best quarterback that season. I don't think there's really been a super, contentious MVP award recently, right? It's not, it's not like what's been, what it's been like in the NBA, um, in the, in the last couple of years. So to me, I, I do think Justin Herbert would probably need to be at the very least top three, like statistically. Right. And then you say, okay, well, the chargers had the best record of those teams um, maybe, you know, they had the most injuries and Herbert was more valuable, right? So you can kind of get into those narratives, but I still think statistically Herbert probably would need to be top three or top four in in some of those respective categories to get some of that consideration. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Uh, chorizo con pampas, uh, dear GAC, ticket prices are just as bad as California gas prices, uh, can't relate, don't live in California, but gas prices are bad everywhere across the nation right now, I guess. Uh, where's the best place to buy tickets? Everything on Ticketmaster is a verified resale and they've jacked the damn price up. preferably section one nineteen to 20, 122. please help. Uh, sincerely married student, father of three. Um, yeah, see, I think Tyler and Steven would know this a little bit better. I know Tyler Tyler himself is a season ticket holder uh, and Steven is is a guy who buys tickets from from week to week during the season. Um I personally for tickets, I haven't been to many NFL games recently, but I tend to use SeatGeek. Um, that's the one that I use. We're not sponsored by SeatGeek. I should I should specify this because there's a lot of podcasts who are, but we're not. Um, I've just always found like the cheapest, best deals there, personally. Um, but again, I I don't venture out uh as much. And I'm sure if you live locally in California there's probably like better advice uh someone else could give you than me but i have always tended to use SeatGeek for nba games for example and have found pretty good prices the week of um also you know like you never know what the value of a game is going to be right so i think when tyler and Steven, for example bought tickets for the raiders game uh it was the week 18 game of the season they were going to go to vegas and when they bought tickets in no uh, i think they bought tickets in like November early December, no one understood how important that Chargers Raiders game was going to be. So the tickets the week of were super expensive, but Tyler and Steven comparatively got really good deals on those tickets for what the game ended up being. So I would just say also try to buy your tickets in advance, right? Like, I mean, that's a huge thing because the value tends to go up and up. Uh, Obviously there are some tickets that value will go down, but I think for what we expect the Chargers to be this season, um i think that you might want to buy your tickets in advance for some of those games for sure um this comes from at shadow aches Uh, as a lifelong chargers fan i've seen so many seasons destroyed by injuries last season we made it through with minimal injuries to our superstar players knock on wood and it made a world of difference i've long wondered how often do gms or head coaches change staff to attack the injury issue that ruins seasons did tt and staley do something special last season um, the answer is kind of no. I mean, they brought in a new strength and conditioning staff. Um, but the Chargers have also had bad injury luck before, right? Um, and there have been the strength and conditioning coaches that have come and gone. I believe during the Lynn administration, there there were two of them. Um, and so you know, I, I do think Telesco and Staley, Staley specifically, has put a lot into player development, into player conditioning, right? The specific way that they practice you know, the specific way that they do their things. But a lot of injuries are just kind of luck-based, right? Uh, I think that the Chargers have kind of worked on that for a while. So for me, I I don't think that there's a lot that, like, you know, the Chargers can control, right? Like, for example, an ACL injury is a freak non-contact thing. Even though the Chargers did everything right last season, and even though their player conditioning was better by comparison to what it had been previous years, Someone like Odeyabushi, you know, still tore his ACL on the freak play, right? Um, and so you're still going to have those injuries, I think, based on the speed that the current NFL game is played at. Um, but, you know, that's also a thing from season to season as well, right? Like, we complain about the drops being high last year. We are, we praise the injuries being low. But, like, those are two things that just fluctuate from year to year. Um, I think that Staley has put a lot on, you know, uh, sports science and analytics in terms of like how they handle injuries but at the same time there's going to be some injuries that are just freak accidents um and so you know don't don't be surprised that that number goes up in 2022 I guess I should say um but also don't be surprised if it stays the same or falls somewhere in between you know 20 what 2021 was and what 2022 will be right i think that's just, just injuries particularly long-term injuries are just something that fluctuates from year to year um and this comes from Teresa Campos again, one of the loyal listeners of our show. Blame? Uh, oh, sorry. Ooh, I said blaming. Barring any major injury, and we miss the playoffs entirely, what is more likely? Tom Pelesco getting fired, Staley getting canned, both get let go, or just the coordinators getting the axe, and Tom Pelesco and Staley get another year to prove it? Um, all right. So this is obviously saying in a situation with Chargers make the play or miss the playoffs, but there's no big Herbert Derwin injury, right? They just ended up missing it and they go nine and eight again, right? Or eight and nine. What is more likely? Um, I tend to think Tom Telesco getting fired would be more likely, but at the same time, uh, right. I I mean, there would be a lot of questions, I think, on Brandon Staley's feet, especially, you know, the media has been particularly hard on Brandon Staley, right, for the fourth down decisions against the Raiders last year. I think there's a lot of opponents he has um, in the media as well. So I think that that becomes an interesting question um if the Chargers front office sides you know let's say some of those fourth down calls don't work out or they're more unsuccessful than they were last year right and the Chargers lose like an extra 2 3 games because of it then like that creates a scenario where i could see a an ownership group that is not as like football based as like maybe like Stephen Stephen Jones and Jerry and the Cowboys are or, like for example Telesco, or I should say, Spanos has been a lot more hands off, right? I think media perception can certainly get Staley in a little bit of trouble, um, but honestly, I think both are both Telesco and Staley are safe, barring like a complete disaster, right? And they go like five and twelve or four and thirteen or something like that could happen, but I don't think it's super likely. I mean, they have a pretty high floor with Justin Herbert as their quarterback. I think you probably look at the coordinators. Um, just based on the fact that they've allowed Telesco to spend as much money as he has this offseason for the long term. And, uh, you know, Staley just got here, right? So are they going to can Brandon Staley this early on in the process? I tend to not think that that's the case. So I, I think both would get another year to prove it with some moves, potentially at coordinator if the offense struggles or you know, but but even if you get to the defense struggling, that sort of thing, like Brandon Staley really is the defensive coordinator, right? Even, you know, we talk about Ronaldo Hill and, and what he does for the team. Um, I, I just, you know, at this point, Staley is the defensive coordinator. So any defensive struggles are kind of attributed to him and the injuries on that unit as opposed to a coordinator. So if the offense struggles, I think you could see it being potentially Joe Lombardi. Um, But I think it's way too early, obviously, to say at this point. From uh, Rainier Codes, can we get a record prediction? Uh, I've been on the record saying mine is 11 and six. I think Steven and Tyler have both said 12 and five. Um, I just look at that schedule and I think there's going to be series that they split. I think they win one of the Chiefs games. I think they probably win one of the Raiders games. I think they honestly end up splitting like all three divisional series. I say that every year, but I mean, the, the AFC West is really competitive. I could see them sweeping the Raiders. I could see them sweeping the Broncos, but it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure to like put that into a record prediction, especially with how the team has struggled at like mile high, for example, in recent years. So I kind of need to, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, believe it when I see it. Right. Um, But I go 11 and six. I think it's pretty optimistic because I still do have them making the playoffs, but I get people who are at 12 and five. I get people who are at 13 and four, Um, but we'll see um the only thing that this uh that is really missing in this offense is a true yak player uh could it be austin that can be that player for us this year i guess are referring to austin eckler there um i don't think the chargers necessarily miss don't have yak players i mean i think you look at austin eckler as a guy who who picks up a lot of yards after contact um You know they they do have Isaiah Spiller now, so like if he breaks out now, you could sort of have that uh, as a as your running back two situation, right? Um, I I do think yards after contact and how he's able to kind of like lower shoulder, like that's something you look at. Um, I I guess we're also talking about yards after. Are we talking about yards after catch or contact? Um, I guess we could technically be talking about both there. If you look at yards after catch players, um, Gerald Everett is really good in that statistic compared to someone like Jared Cook last year. Um, I guess where this like kind of really comes into play is, you know, Jalen Guyton, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are not like yak players, right? Mike Williams sometimes like breaks away for like a long touchdown if he like catches a ball over somebody, right? Um, or, you know, but, but Keenan Allen isn't going to like sprint to the end zone after catching a ball, right? Jalen Guyton is kind of like a deep threat who, you know, maybe he catches a 50-yard ball in the end zone, but it doesn't result in a lot of yak Um, obviously. So um, I think that you could look at the chargers having more yak players. I wouldn't be surprised if like Deandre Carter is kind of in that conversation as well, just like mix it up um, and have like a few, a few more yak threats as opposed to just like the positional catchers. Um, But we'll see how it goes. I think they still have enough firepower and offense. Even if you look at their top two wide receiver options and say that they aren't yak players, but Mike Williams and Keenan Allen obviously bring a lot else to the table. And I think we'll end it on this one. Uh, This comes from James Jepson. If we have the ability to come out on top in the AMC West, what's the path to eating, uh, to eating, beating each of our division rivals? What weaknesses do we exploit in each opponent? Um, I think this is a good question. And we sort of talked about this, I think, on the last podcast episode with me, Kyle, and Steven. And one of the things we said is like, the Chiefs obviously have lost Tyreek Hill right they they have recouped like some value in getting like Marquez valdez scantling uh and and they got smith schuster but like that's a huge cog in their offense that's gone and I, I think if you're talking about like just changes for teams you also have to look at the raiders and broncos right uh raiders and broncos both have new coaching staffs both are going to have new offensive systems right like the raiders should still have a decently high offensive floor um, I think the Broncos obviously look you're operating from new lock to Russell Wilson, right? So that's like a positive for them. But I think if you're talking about like how new uh, the continuity for all of these teams, I think that's something that the chargers can exploit particularly early in the year with three, three of their, you know, six divisional games coming in those first six weeks, you know, opening the season with the Raiders, then the chiefs and the Broncos um, on Monday night football a little bit later. So um You know, I think if you're talking about like more specific team weaknesses, other than just continuity, uh, I think you want to kind of, you know, exploit the Tyreek Hill thing for the Chiefs, you know, particularly that you're playing them earlier in the season, a lack of a cohesive offensive identity maybe at that point. I think if you have your, you know, uh, obviously the upgraded secondary that they have with JC Jackson being in the fold now, and now you have the ability to put more pressure on the homes from a pass rushing standpoint, that's something where I think maybe they can get the Chiefs uh, in that early game on Thursday night football before they have a real cohesive identity. Uh, the Raiders' weakness, their defense. I mean, like, obviously, you know, they have Chandler Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. Um, but aside from that, they really didn't upgrade their linebacker group. They didn't upgrade their secondary. Justin Herbert has to absolutely shred um, that defense if he want. you know, if the Chargers are going to beat the Raiders. he Probably some shootout kind of games in that aspect as well. And, of course, Max Crosby versus Storm Norton or versus Trey Pipkins or versus anyone, like, should scare the Chargers. But I think you look at what the Raiders have in the secondary back there. They didn't really help themselves in the draft. They didn't really help themselves in free agency in that regard. Their defense is still pretty shoddy at this point compared to what the Chargers are going to be this year. Um, and the Broncos, uh, I think that they – you could argue they have a couple offensive line issues, right? Um, Russell Wilson – Is one of Russell Wilson's biggest weaknesses, I should say, is how he's been reacting to pressure the last couple of seasons. The Chargers play a lot of too high, uh, which the uh, which Russell Wilson has struggled with, particularly in recent years. Um, You know, has obviously kind of ran himself into some sacks as well. So I think causing more dysfunction and you know, uh, letting Russ burn down the building by cooking. That's kind of what you want to see against the Broncos. Obviously, not going to happen every drive. Russell Wilson's still really good, um, but I, I think you want to sort of exploit Russell Wilson's uh, unpredictability a little bit and and have that you know play into your favor, cause a couple turnovers uh, and you know kind of get the offense going in that way as well. Uh, but yeah, that is the last question for today, guys. Let me know what you think down in the comments below about any of these questions. Let me know your thoughts. And uh, there's been a long Q and A, but I will see you guys.